Sometimes it feels like the tech industry is more of a zero-sum game than it used to be. We discuss that and a lot more in this episode. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? <laughs> uh, not much. I'm doing good. Doing good. How are you doing? I love it when I get a little chuckle out of you. <laughs> you always... We, we always have this silence and there's Zencaster does this countdown three, two, one, and then you just ram in here with all that energy. <laughs> I'm never ready for it. Uh, no, yeah, things have been good. Um, so it's kind of like end of summer. I mean, it's end of summer for everybody, but like we especially, uh, less annoying, we have nine interns slash fellows who I'll just refer, refer to as interns for the sake of this discussion. Nine out of a 19-person company. So roughly 50% of the company is here just for the summer, and then they leave. And so they all just left. And so lots of like rituals and fun stuff and all that uh, related to that. Well, so what, 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 tell me more. Yeah. Like any big learning, any big takeaways from this batch? Yeah. Uh, let me run through what happened and we'll see if there are learnings or not. So one is the fellowship. So six of the nine people are not technically interns. They are just learning to code and working on their own projects. Um, they, at the end of every summer, we have the fellows give a presentation about, you know, what they learned and stuff like that. Uh, and they demo their products and all that. And it's just, it's just amazingly like fulfilling. Like they, all these six people just a showing off really cool projects that they worked on. And then also like three or four of the six were like coming into the summer. I thought I probably don't belong in tech and I was probably going to switch majors. And now I'm sure I'm meant to be a software engineer. Like all six of them said that at the end, they're like, I'm after this, I'm 100% sure I'm going into tech. So that was pretty fulfilling. Um, what was the reasoning they gave? Part of it was they like, you know, when you look at a tech like environment, um, like if, if you kind of think of who who's a tech person, I think things have like gotten better, but it's still like the Mark Zuckerberg prototype, like the nerdy Harvard guy in a hoodie type of thing. Um, I say that as like a nerdy guy who wears hoodies, but uh <laughs> Like, I think a lot of them just don't see themselves represented in the industry, and they're just not sure if they can cut it. Like, they go to their computer science classes in college, because these are, like, freshmen, sophomore in college, and they're, like, almost everyone else here is not does not look like me, does not talk like me. They've all been coding since middle school, and they just thought they were too far behind. And so I think part of it's just giving them the sense, like, no, you've, you've still got time. Um, one thing I want to mention about this, I talked about this a while back. So the fellowship, we used to have the goal of, like, trying to get people into tech, um, like people who maybe hadn't, aren't majoring in computer science, maybe some people, in one case, someone didn't even own a computer, like trying to take someone who wasn't interested in tech and get them into it. This summer, we pivoted a little bit and said, let's take people who are already trying to get in, but aren't ready yet. Like they can't get a real internship yet and try to give them that stepping stone. And I mean, it really paid off. Like this, this was so much better. How did you evaluate whether someone was over the threshold that made them eligible versus someone who isn't quite ready for you guys. Yeah, that is tough because uh, you hate to tell someone like you're not ready to be an intern, but a couple of people applied for both the internship and the fellowship and we gave them the intern interview. And it, in both cases, it was pretty obvious. They like, I'd be like, so we're going to do some database queries. And they're like, I've never used a database before. And it's like, okay, not off to a great start. You know, it, they, <laughs> they understood that like they didn't have the skills where the, the it's not skills. It's like it, well, it is, it's not talent, it's skills. It's like they haven't learned the thing yet. Mm -hmm. And so 
we just gave him the dev inter- intern interview. And if they didn't pass it, then we were like, well, are you interested in the fellowship? Um, but so yeah, people, my- so, so you basically said people who are applying for internships that are get, not getting them, meaning they had the desire and some base level of knowledge to, to be able to apply for those. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, got two it. two got of it. the fellows were that way. The other four, honestly, like they weren't applying for internships. Like they knew they're like, I'm definitely not ready for an internship. Uh, several, two or three of them weren't even sure. They, they've been taking computer science classes, but haven't even decided to major in it yet. So for them, they were like, it was very clear that internships weren't happening for them. Um, but yeah, by, by making this pivot to kind of like people a little more upstream, we, uh, it just had so much more impact. Like I, I think in the tech world, we tend to be more ambitious than we should be. This is like the classic, like Elon Musk colonizing Mars type of thing. Uh, instead of saying we're going to take someone who has no clue how to code and get them ready to be a programmer in a summer, we said, we're going to take people who are a semester away from being ready and we're going to get them ready. And by biting off a more manageable piece, like just, just so much, it's less work for us. I think it had more impact. It's more likely to lead to us recruiting these people for full-time roles in the future. Just, I, I feel really good about how it went. That's awesome, man. It's like the perfect, and do you think anyone will become an employee at some point or a future intern? Um, I think it's, so we don't have any positions right now. We, we, we may, we have, may have future intern positions. I think it's likely that uh, one or more of them are interns in the future. We don't really have any full-time positions, but if we did, um, definitely yes. Like, <laughs> I don't know the exact number. A number of them were like coming into this. I thought like, this is more interns and fellows. They were like, I, w- I wanted to go work at big tech. And after this summer, nah, big tech's not for me. I want to work at a company like this. So. Oh, I'm just feeling great. I'm like bragging on myself too much That's here. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Good. Um, so anyway, yeah, like the fellowship ended, went really well. The, the next step is like, we're doing it again next summer. Similarly, I need to figure out how to delegate some of it because it took just a massive amount of my time this summer. Mm. Uh, so that's next up on my list there. Yeah. And you don't, <laughs> you don't think that's a good use of your time or you think there's a better use of your time or you don't like it? What's the reasoning you um, need to delegate it? I'm torn to, I don't want to say it's not a good use of my time. It's one of the most fulfilling things I do, but like basically all summer I'm maybe at 50% capacity for, for anything else. And that's like a quarter of the year. I mean, a huge chunk of my total productivity for the year goes down and I like being involved. I, I think there's stuff that probably I can do better than anyone else at the company, but I don't need to be giving every single lesson and sitting in every single project planning meeting and all that stuff. I also think it's a good opportunity for other people at the company to, you know, mentor, like they get some mentorship experience through this as well. That's awesome. um, Yeah. If anyone out there, like, this is like terrible ROI to be clear. I'm not saying if you want to run a successful business, this is a good idea, but like if anyone out there is feeling comfortable and wants to like kind of half philanthropy, half have interns, talk to me. I'd love to, (laughs) I'd love to have more companies doing this. I Um, I did a similar thing uh, for during the, pandemic um, for inter- college students who were sophomores and juniors who uh, got their internships canceled um, and I, where I had basically a mini, I called it a mini internship and it was like very low ROI for the business, but so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have like, I based a lot of the stuff I did on the materials that you had shared with me and um, it's, it's, it, those relationships are still there. It's really yeah. interesting. Um, very, very powerful relationships and they are so appreciative and, the those most of the people who do stuff like that go on to do some really cool things, mm-hmm. and so it's I, I do think like there's a long return on that. Um, 
that, that just it's not immediate gratification by any means from a ROI standpoint, but but fulfillment immediate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a return. In, it, it, if you're a startup who's like trying to get you know to default alive, it's like this is not the way to get there. <laughs> but yeah, if you're comfortable and yeah, I agree. Like long, long term. Yeah, we have you know six to nine, you know, nine people this summer going through this program. And like, that's nine connections every summer forever. It definitely adds up over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, another nice thing about it is a sense of seasonality. So that leads me to basically like, so that same day we also celebrated, uh, 25 hitting 25,000 users, which would you do? So we, so it was, it was such a cool day. So the, the, the morning was the fellowship presentation. And then for the first time ever, we shut down support halfway through the day, we shut it down at 1 PM. Uh, and the whole company went out to get lunch together and did some like daytime activities. We did like a Ferris wheel type of thing and just kind of random stuff, but then reconvened at night at a brewery. We rented out a brewery and just had like a party. Everyone got to invite guests. We had like a acro, like one of our employees is a circus person. And she had like one of her friends come and do tightrope walking at the brewery. It was just wild. It was like a really fun party that the fact that it was also everyone's last day just made it like a really special kind of end of summer slash milestone party. So it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Now that now you've got more stories for people to tell about that last party that they had. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. You, you comment on this somehow, sometimes that you'd like to like celebrate stuff more. And um, I don't think I'm as good at this as you think I am, but this was definitely one of those where like, I think we'll all remember this for a long time. And um, now I'm kind of thinking we're just going to have an end of summer party every year. You don't have to have something to celebrate. I still think uh, you should, you are good at this. Uh, you are good at partying <laughs> and p planning parties. Um, your wedding, I'm still like bummed over the wedding, your wedding being canceled. Uh, that was the whole, most hilarious wedding website and plan and invitations that I've ever seen in my entire life. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't think most people are going for funny with their wedding, so I didn't have much competition, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I know I've been talking a lot, but I'll, I'll wrap up my this update with this. Like, So basically summer's over now. And one really nice thing about kind of the seasonality of interns, it's like really chaotic, like nine people who basically don't know what they're doing that need a ton of mentorship and handholding. And they're just loud and stuff. Uh, and they're all gone now, which or uh, a couple interns are still wrapping up really amazing having them. What's so cool is now that they're gone, there's a sense of calm and everyone's like, all right, now I get to go get my work done. Um, so it's kind of a nice, like hitting the reset button on the culture of the company. Where it's like, all right, we had our fun. It was, it was nice having those people. Now everyone get back get to work. Done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but everyone wants to, like, it's not me being some kind of taskmaster. Everyone's like really relieved that they get to focus more on their individual work now. That's cool. So, Anyway, summer is over. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, well, uh, we had our windfall had its company offsite last week. We do every six months. We do a company offsite. It was in uh, San Jose at a resort. It was really well done. Um, it was Wednesday through Friday. Uh, I think you were in San Francisco. It's mm -hmm. ironic that we're both there, but we couldn't like it was. It was literally like eight a.m. to ten p.m. activities. Uh, wow! All presentations to happy hours to dinner to act post dinner activities. Um, and that people like, fun and exhausting, <laughs> fun and exhausting. Exactly. Um, I did have, to, I did talk. Um, I did, I gave a presentation about company rituals, which, um, I have as a, a discussion topic. If we have time for today, if we don't, we can, I talk about it another time, but, um, 
that was an interesting talk to prepare for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very interested in your take on rituals at some (laughs) point, Uh, but, but it was, it was good to kind of, I'm involved in onboarding. So I see everyone's face when they come in the company, I know everyone's name. Um, we've about 70 employees at windfall, but it, uh, you know, it's weird kind of walking up to someone and be like, hi, so-and-so. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> um, but it's, it was, it was cool to have, be face-to-face. We're, you know, highly remote, 20 people, 20 different, sta- 20 different states represented, I think. Um, so having everyone in one place was really, really cool. Um, the it's company so impor- is like based in San Francisco, yeah, though? headquarters are in San Francisco. And then like, there's also an office in Denver. Most people are in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people aren't. No, gotcha. Yeah. And and so, you know, but, but a lot of people don't come in the office every day. So mm. anyway, getting 70 people into one place to talk and work together and you know, get to know each other better. It's, it's a big undertaking, but it's super impactful. And, uh, if you know, it's important to do offsites when you are a co-located company, it's even more important to do it when you're a heavily remote, uh, workforce. Um, and so I'm glad that we did it, but as a result of the company offsite, I now feel behind on everything. Uh, I didn't get any work done. We basically all put up out of office reminders for three days um, or out of office uh, replies. Um, and, you know, then, you know, there's a board meeting this week and then there's, wow. you know, there's just more in quarterly. We have a fiscal year that's uh, February 1st uh, forward. So this is the first two weeks of a quarter performance reviews. Like it just, it's a lot. Uh, it never ends. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I'm feeling really behind on everything right now. Uh, I, I started like right before all this started happening in our last uh, ep- recording, I talked about how I, I wanted to bring a couple people on to help with digital marketing. So I got, I had initial conversation with those people and said, yeah, I'll get you that. And then I haven't gotten them that. And now they're like, uh, <laughs> should I hold a spot for you? Like what's going on? So now I feel guilty. Um, anyway, I am, uh, hoping to get caught up this week so that I can get focused on the business. My main um, update on Lego Pelt is JD and I are, are zeroing in on a local, what we're calling a local marketing blitz for Q4. So Lego Pelt um, is Utah focused. Um, we definitely want to have a local marketing flywheel um, that we figure out to generate leads and close and turn them into customers. Um, but like we aren't going to build a flywheel overnight. So what it, we're kind of thinking of it in the terms of a, of a blitz. Uh, for, um, uh, for Q4 this year. And I'm, you know, there's a couple of things that we're trying, but I'm interested in what you might consider, you know, as a local marketing tactic for, uh, for, uh, for like health, like we're a local we're marketing ch- tactic. Yeah. So we're doing chambers of commerce as one lever We're we're, we're optimizing for SEO, you know, Utah SEO related keywords, um, so that when someone searches local, we get found, we're doing, uh, we have five customer reviews now. We had one last episode. We have nice, five, five nice. star reviews now. Um, we're, uh, doing outreach obviously to prospective cu- consumers, prospective cus- business customers and prospective partners. Um, we're joining associations. We've, we've looked into some of like the advertising, like local advertising and local, um, like radio, it just doesn't seem right. That seems more like a, of a flywheel brand awareness play than a blitz. And it doesn't, doesn't feel right. Um, feel free to challenge me, but like any, uh, any levers you think we should pull local marketing wise? Uh, I mean, uh, any, any, you, any marketing tactics that you would, yeah. Appreciate? Cause you just listed like everything I yeah. feel like, um, 
I think it's probably less about like get more ideas, more like high level channels, but and more like which of those seem most promising. Um, we're gonna do all of those things. You're doing all okay, but all the things I listed, we're gonna do. But are there there any more that you think we should do? And you're gonna say no. Are there any like important local marketing avenues that we're not thinking about? You know, chambers are are obvious one. When I think of local marketing, I think of like how to market a retail business, like you know, go on Yelp or whatever. Ooh, Yelp, that's interesting. I guess insurance agents are on Yelp, and maybe we're not on Yelp. We need to be on Yelp. Yeah. Like I realize you don't have a Yelp and Google maps and stuff like that is more for storefronts. You don't have a storefront, but like you are, you are competing with people who have storefronts and someone might search for someone with a storefront and find you. I I don't know how good of an idea that is, but yeah. Health insurance um, in Utah. Like there's a ton of people on here. Yeah. So that's something I've always wanted to run. Like I know restaurants are a terrible business, but I've always been like, man, I could, I suck at marketing compared to other SaaS founders. I would be, I would, kick the shit out of any restaurant marketing person because they're all terrible locally. What other ones you got? Yelp's a good a great one. Uh yeah, what else? Um I mean, how do people find stuff locally? Yeah. I think the associations you talked about makes a ton of sense. You 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 talked about like radio and stuff. I agree that doesn't make sense yet, but once you have a brand, it could. I feel like that's just kind of reinforcing. That's like the fourth or fifth touch point after you've already gotten some. Um, I don't know, like think like people love sports teams and stuff like that. I could imagine a little Spon- sponsorship like that. We should sponsor the fricking like we should be sponsors of college and high school athletes now that they can make money off of their, uh, oh, I didn't know high school could, I think, I, I think now anyone can, um, without the whole point was like, you couldn't, you know, be an amateur, maintain your amateur status and play college athletics yeah. if you took money now that that's gone you can do it at any point in time find a college football player and have them say when i get a concussion i call leg up health <laughs> exactly <laughs> or or better yet like the the high school football star pay him 50 bucks and like have him like wear a leg up health t-shirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I listen all of the even just the stuff you named sounds like too much to me like <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I would say p- pick the best one or two or three ideas and focus so I, we do can you know anything about more. next door uh, next door. Yeah. That's the like kind of neighborhood social networky thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that sounds like potentially a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm thinking about that one. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're just going to blitz all this and we're just going to make it so that it, you can't get away from us. And then I, the, the other thing I want is I want to have retargeting so that if someone does make it to our homepage, um, and they, they fit a certain profile, we're going to follow them around and yeah, I think that them. makes a lot of sense. I just got a little, piece of feedback from someone who knows what they're talking about on this that was do Google retargeting instead of Facebook retargeting just because it's way cheaper. Mm, interesting. I, I, I'm not saying that's like blanket advice for everyone, but like that's what they said to us is because we tried Facebook and it didn't work. And then they're like, you should try retargeting. We said it didn't work. They're like, oh, you did the way more expensive one. Do do Google retargeting. And I'm sure much more people are on Google the Google retargeting platforms than the Facebook ones, right? Like, Yeah. The cool thing about Facebook is you can... You can retarget if you're just like anyone who comes to my site. I want to just plaster ads in their face. I think either one works, but with Facebook, you can be like, you know, people in this area, this age. You can do more demographic targeting. And they'll do it off of like, is it just retargeting them with ads on Facebook, or is it retargeting them across all like 
different websites. The, uh, I am far from an expert on this, but my impression yeah. is, so Google has AdSense, which is like this ad network for all these websites. Mm-hmm. I don't think Facebook has an equivalent ad network. I think for Facebook, the ads are on facebook.com okay, or Instagram or so whatever. So if someone isn't going on Instagram or Facebook, they're not going to see those ads. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, most people do. I just don't. Same. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. What no, it sounds like do the blitz. Um, I wanted to follow up on something I talked a, quite a while about, which was uh, pay transparency. I kind of announced less knowing CRM was moving to a pay transparency model where basically there's like nuance here, but we're basically sharing internally, not public with the world, but public internally at the company, what everyone gets paid. Um, a couple follow-ups to that, because like I never had a chance to say how it went. One is like you and I were talking about this on the podcast and you were like, oh, like, let's let's see what, you know, who's going to come and negotiate for a raise or, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, I've not heard a single thing from anyone. So <laughs> <laughs> absolute crickets. That doesn't mean I won't hear anything. It doesn't mean people haven't like felt feelings and just didn't share them with me. But so far, it has created absolutely zero additional work for me. Thoughts? Well, how long has it been since you shared this? Uh, six months, something like that. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. Wow. We were already pretty transparent to begin with. So like everybody, I I think part of the reason is no one was surprised by it. If you have like a totally opaque, uh, culture, I I think go switching to this would probably cut like ruffle a lot more feathers than it did. I guess it doesn't really surprise me that much. Yeah. It surprises me that not a single person has brought it up. I guess I thought it like there would be at least one person who would be like, Tyler, this doesn't seem very fair. Right, right. But that didn't and happen. It didn't. And people have mentioned it in passing like as a, like, oh, you know, my friend is negotiating for a raise. Glad we have pay transparency. Like people have said stuff like that, but not, they've never come to me and been like, we need to talk about this. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention, one of our uh, listeners, Jonathan Miles. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for writing in. He asked uh, a question. <laughs> yeah, Rick is laughing right now. <laughs> Am I not a good radio host, Rick? No, it was great. It was too good is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> first time, long time, first time. Uh, no. Um, Jonathan kind of wrote in and after the pay transparency thing was like, why were we, why didn't we find a middle ground of, of doing something like just uh, publishing? I, I hope I'm representing him correctly, but just publishing like bands of salaries, like the developers on average make this amount or that mm-hmm. amount. Um, so I wanted to respond to that. I think there's two reasons a company might do pay transparency. One is you want to give people information to allow themselves to negotiate for themselves. Um, giving these pay scales, I think, does that beautifully. They can see, you know, what does a developer make or as granular as you want, like what does a developer with this much experience make and so on. Um, I think that would be achieved by this middle ground. The second reason is a different type of equity, which is like holding the company accountable for paying people fairly, like are women making as much as men? Are people of color making as much as white people and so on? Uh, it's very hard to do that with the aggregate information at a small company because if you're like, if you go one or two levels deep of that data, you can figure out who everyone is anyway. So mm-hmm. if you are only interested in the first objective, I think doing pay, pay bans instead of publishing individual people's salaries is better. If you want the second type of equity and you're a small company, I think you need to go full transparency. What do you think about that? This is not important to me from an equity standpoint, so I fall more in the first camp. Um, I'm not saying that pay equity isn't important. Let me be very clear. It's just not a 
part of my business objective. Um, I do you agree that if that is important, you yes, need to go. Full I agree transparent? with what you said. I agree with what you said. Um, I would probably personally fall into the first camp of like uh, wanting to drive transparency for purposes of helping people take care of themselves. Um, yeah, and feel good about it. Um, but, but like, yeah, but I agree with I, what you said. A little so. If you're like you and you don't care about it, I think I would advise preemptively publishing the bans. I, I think you're right. Um, and I, I I was in the back of my mind going, this actually would help us a lot with scaling leg up health because we're going to have to go after, I, I'm not sure who our target co- coach profile is. So we're going to have to hire coaches um, in mass at some point to support uh, you know thousands and thousands of clients. And, uh, you know, who, what does that profile look like? What, what is it like? What is their promotion opportunity? Um, and it's like, it's not going to be, there's not like going to be this huge margin to negotiate with. So it's going to have to be pretty well thought out ahead of time to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like we're not going to be able to negotiate with people. It's going to be like, listen, like hit this number, hit this, <laughs> this number, hit this offer, number. Yeah. And so, um, you know, being able to qualify people with that up front, there's lots of advantages of having it sort of built out and transparent and set in stone. Um, from a scaling standpoint, recruiting standpoint, uh, review performance review standpoint. So I like it from from that perspective. Um, I'm more, but I'm more like thinking of it from what's best for the like what's best for our company uh, versus like what's best for the individual. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I'm saying that like that's that's not where I'm coming at from this. But like, if you want to do what's best for your company, I this is going to sound really cynical, and maybe I like I shouldn't even say this, but like do go halfway before people force you to go all, all the way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I got one other update here, um, before we move on to other stuff. Uh, yeah. So I talked, uh, I think last week or last episode, rather, we talked about how, uh, less annoying serum is going to try to go after kind of an API platform play a little bit, make our API better, try and get other people to integrate with us. So I've a, Two people reached out to me based on me saying that on the podcast and were like, hey, I might be interested, which is awesome. Like people actually listen to the podcast and <laughs> those people are developers. Normally, <laughs> I have no way of making money off developers, but <laughs> I found a way. <laughs> um, no, but that's very cool. I appreciate the people who reached out. But I also started doing a very, very minor amount of kind of cold outreach to uh, people I'm aware of that are building apps that would like I think that they would benefit and we would benefit from them integrating. So I'm kind of doing something like business development in a very low key way right now to try to find part, find partners. Do, do you have any, like anything concrete you can share or specific around like use cases or is it more um, like idea phase right now? I don't want to just in the interest of not like giving, sharing other people's information if they don't want me to, I don't want to say who I reach out to, but I'll say like, I basically put some thought into uh, the, the, the formula is it's got to be a category of product our customers ask for. So they ask for, uh, you know, invoicing tools, form builder tools, document signing tools, various things, but they have to be smaller than us because someone bigger than us is not going to integrate with us, right? The smaller fish always integrates with the bigger fish. And I want their product to be good enough that I can recommend it. So I've Mm. kind of been looking around like who in the bootstrapper indie hacker space do I feel like has a good product, is smaller than us, and uh, like the product could integrate nicely with listening CRM. I like it. Yeah. I'm and again, if, if anyone else out there, let me, let me know. Yeah, keep keep finding them. And um, I would love to hear more about this as you go, like especially as it turns into like real stuff. Yeah. Like, no, it'd be like one of the things on my mind is if we want this to work, 
when, as soon as we get our first, we, we have people who have integrated with us, but like not, they're not like good <laughs> tools necessarily. I shouldn't say that. They're probably fine, but like they're not, we didn't reach out to them and be like, we love your tool. Can you integrate? They, they just like, it went the other way. Um, the first time we get one of these partners, I, I'm going to go overboard on getting them customers, right? I'm going to be like, we're going to mention you in every newsletter for the next month. We're going to like, like we have some channels to really push it. So I'm going to really focus on the kind of like partner success, uh, which I'll, I'll definitely talk about when the time comes. I, very interesting. It's very interested in that. Yeah. Um, so I've got some rants and shout outs and stuff, uh, but uh, I've been talking a lot. I got you a got shout anything? out. Yeah. Have you heard about the new VP at Lucid? I have not. Tell Her me. name is Sable Lindquist. Sable Lindquist. Hmm. She's now VP. Of, <laughs> my wife is now VP of product marketing That's at Lucid awesome. Software, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, For those of you who don't Sable. know, Lucid um, is the producer of Lucid Chart and Lucid Spark, visual di- uh, diagramming software. But Tyler and I were around working at the same company as one of the co-founders of Lucid. And uh, it's kind of weird now, 10 years, 10 plus years later, four, 15 years later, yeah. Um, to be sitting here and, and I'm married to now one of the VPs and they're thousands, almost a thousand employees now, I think. So wow. it's pretty VP cool. of product marketing, product marketing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. It's huge. Good job. Sable. We, we celebrated with takeout last night or two nights ago. Yeah. Did, uh, I'm trying to turn this into like, how do you celebrate stuff more? But print out some swag for her. We have, <laughs> we're in baby jail. Baby jail. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no uh, time for celebrations. However, we are going to Cancun the week after Labor Day, uh, and it's we're not taking the baby. Wow, it's a big deal. And you're like, do you think you're fully unplugging from work? I've taken time off. That's going to be such a change for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We'll see how it goes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what are your shout outs? Um, so one are they one rants or shout outs? They're they're shout outs. Um, I've been. I, I mentioned a while back I kind of had fallen off of the uh, founder podcast stuff and I'm back in it, which <laughs> I don't know if that says something about me. Am I like, I don't know, mentally, am I more engaged now? I don't know. Uh, but one that I've been really enjoying is Default Alive with uh, Corey Haynes and Chris Baggs. I mean, I've listened to it for a long time, but I don't know if I've shouted them out. But episode 72, um, Corey Haynes said something that I thought was really interesting. So I just want to like repeat it here and editorialize. Uh so for people who don't listen, Corey is a marketer who's, I mean, he's tech savvy, but he's not like a developer. So in that sense, he's non-technical um, that had an idea for like a poker. I, I don't know anything about poker, but some app for tracking stuff that he decided to build with no code tools. Um, and so he just kind of dove in. I, it was really interesting as a developer hearing him talk about like all these concepts. Like he basically described oh, I had to learn what a one-to-many relationship is in a database. And he, he maybe didn't know the term to use, but like talking about all these concepts that are fundamental to building a CRUD app. And what it made me realize, he, he built this whole thing in no code, but it made me realize is like, there are two skill sets. One is knowing the concepts of how like, com- like software architecture works. And the other one is knowing how to code. And those two are often lumped together. But... Maybe in the future, knowing how to code will be less and less valuable. But I think the knowing the software engineering architecture side probably isn't going anywhere. Does that resonate with you? It resonates 100% with me. And I totally agree with it. The problem right now is to build anything truly, truly meaningful from a software perspective requires coding. Mm -hmm. Still, no code, the, the no code movement isn't there yet. 
but yes, I do agree. But I think we're moving more and more towards like less code mm-hmm. in lots of different ways. Um, but yes, I thought that totally resonates with me. So, and no code is a great way to learn those principles. Yeah. And it, it might not even look, when we say no code, we kind of mean, you know, Webflow and Airtable and all these tools. Um, I talked with Drew Riley for his trends report on this. And one of his points was like, in, in a sense, all modern programming languages are no code. Um, it like for, for people who know what I'm talking about, like writing, you know, machine code, like ones and zeros, that's code. Yeah. And then as soon as you abstract away from that and you say, no, we're writing C++ now, even though that's still really low level, it's, it's less code. It's less code. And mm-hmm. PHP is less code than that. And you, I, I could imagine it coming from either end. Like maybe uh, Adalo and tools like and Bubble get better enough that you can build apps with that. Or maybe the coding tools get so abstract that you're, you know, quote unquote coding, but it's it's not like it is today. In any event, this made me feel really happy because I've commented recently, I'm forgetting how to code, but I actually think I was always better at the understanding how the app should work part than the actual coding part. And I'm not getting any worse at that because I'm still sitting in all the meetings and helping people plan. And so I'm kind of, now I'm sitting here waiting for the world to come to me so that I can be a productive software creator again. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend listening to, again, that was episode, I mean, listen to any of them, but like 72, episode 72, I'll link to it in the show notes, was, I just thought like a really cool dive into the, maybe a peek at what the future of software engineering looks like. Did um, you get any insight into what no-code platform there he was using? Uh, I think he said it was Adalo. Cool. And in the, the most recent one, he said he actually ran into a few challenges like getting it published because it's for like iOS apps, like mm-hmm. getting it published and getting the sign in with Google button working and stuff like that. But uh, it sounds like getting an actual app like I, I've actually been trying to think for myself, like the next time I run into a situation where I just want a little crud Credit. app. I'll just I should just go into a and try to make it because I would love to get some experience with that. Yeah, no, really like the simple you can do the simplest things. Yeah. Um. So, okay, next rant shout out. And I think this could turn into a bigger topic potentially. Um, I was listening to Out of Beta with um, Peter Soom and Matt Winsing. Um, that, it's just another founder. Do, do, do you listen to any of these? You're not like a big podcast I, guy. I know, um, I know Default Alive and uh, I, bo- I know both of these podcasts and I, okay. I have them both in my playlist. I have, I have it's been a while since I listened um, to any podcast, much less these. Yeah, gotcha. Well, th- these are both kind of a similar format to what you and I are doing here. Um, there's uh, one of the recent episodes. It's called What What Kills a Startup? Uh, so Peter on the podcast has started Reform, which is a uh, like a form building tool. And over the last several months, you can kind of, he kind of goes through a journey. I hope I'm representing this correctly, that Builds a prototype, gets some initial traction, especially like he's pretty well connected in, you know, these circle, like kind of bootstrapper indie hacker circles, gets early adoption, things are looking great, and then it kind of plateaus pretty quickly. Like not like not plateaus at millions of dollars in revenue, but like plateaus before it's really default alive. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's been they've they've done an interesting deep dive into like the the ideology around what what it takes to, to start a successful company. Because I feel like the if you go on Indie Hackers, the narrative you that everyone assumes is true, just conventional wisdom, is like build something in a week or two, like a really quick prototype MVP. And then what really matters is marketing. 
Have you seen this like attitude from people? Yes, but I just ignore it. But yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> well, well, go on. What? Because you don't have the context I do here. What do you mean? Just ignore it? Uh, well, it, most advice and like aspiring entrepreneurial forums is like canned and overly simplified, um, and designed more to motivate uh, than to actually and inspire than to actually like succeed. And mm-hmm. so. Um, I have just a negative sort of, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Okay, if that's I agree with you, yeah. but the problem is there are examples of that happening and, and you're always like, I, I don't know. I'm always like, damn, like a, I'm not focused on marketing enough. I'm a loser. And B like, why am I so slow? Why are we so slow at building stuff? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's not to build up. I think like where, where I disagree is it's not build a product and then market it. It's solve a problem and then market it. And I think what some people get caught on is like, yeah, you, you might build a, a great product, but it's not solving any problem. And so right. like, it, it, it's like, I don't know much about the reform. I, mean, I just pulled it up while you, while you were talking, but like, I mean, this is a, this product has been done many times. Um, right. And so like what problem was, was being solved here? Okay, I think that's a great way to frame it because um, and, and that's like Peter is acknowledging that in the podcast, which I think is so refreshing because like no one ever admits this stuff. It, it's just like <laughs> the product has to be better than it is. Uh, and it resonates really strongly with me, given like my company is literally called Less Annoying CRM. We're literally saying there are a million CRMs out there. We're just another one. Um, and there, I don't know, there are a bunch of interesting takeaways. I, maybe I'll just rattle stuff off and like, we can go down whatever rabbit holes. So, so to be clear here, like, it sounds like he, he went into a, did he build, what problem was he solving? I, I, um, I think he's probably built a really cool form product, Yeah. but the problem is like, there's a lot of form products out there and people are pretty happy with them. Well, I think that or was, not. I think there was pushback on that. Like, okay. I think, um, what's the main, uh, re, uh, I forget the name of the big one that everyone uses. Um, the one where like it's one question per screen. Do you know what I'm talking? Uh, oh, uh, the embeddable form tool type form. Type form. Yeah. Um, yep. Basically the people hate type form, especially apparently I didn't realize this, the editor I'm like, I've filled out type forms as the end user, but like the, the editor to create the forms apparently is super slow and clunky. And so it was very much like a, no, we're not, innovating and solving a totally new thing, but like we're making a, a better mousetrap was the idea. I think, I hope I'm representing this all yeah. well. Okay. Got you. Cool. And like similarly savvy Cal by Derek Reimer also kind of in these same bootstrapper circles is just Calendly, but better, but it's not, I don't think it really has any features that Calendly doesn't have, you know, and less annoying serum. That's what, that's what we are. So I agree. There's no denying. That's the problem that, uh, that reform is having is that there's just two, there's too much competition. Customers have these high expectations, but it does kind of go against the indie hacker narrative of like build this thing and then go market it. And that's the whole problem. Like if, if your product's not doing something new and or, yeah, if it's not solving a problem that people had, then you got it. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of coming full circle here is like back in the day, like when you and I were at Zane benefits together, we, we literally built internal tools to solve like very, the first wave of problems that mm-hmm. SAS uh, founders, uh, built companies to solve. Yeah. And those, those obvious problems have been solved. Like, yeah. So I think I like that you said first wave, cause that's one of my takeaways from listening to yeah. this is 
there are waves of products. And what was in the first wave? Like CRM, project management, email marketing, form building, invoicing, stuff like that, right? An interesting thing that I said, SavvyCal seems to be working. I mean, not uh, it's not like huge yet, but it, I think they've gotten past the plateau that um, Reform hit. That's like second wave. It's not a calendar. It's an appointment scheduling tool. It's like a little more niche, a little smaller. It's not like a company-wide system of record. It's just kind of a little add-on to your calendar. And I feel like maybe that's the frontier right now that that bootstrappers can target. What do you think? Uh, what, what's the frontier? It's uh, niche niche apps within bigger apps. Yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm you... not sure. I have like a full like a good way of describing this generically, but like building an add-on to a calendar is more likely to succeed right now than building a calendar. Yeah. Oh yeah. For or sure. like I I don't think there's any way a bootstrap company like Lessonowing Serum could get started right now and succeed. I disagree with that. So I was thinking like CRMs the other day, like is there a CRM out there? For example, like most CRMs take a account view like mm-hmm. of records, not a person view. Like, is there a CRM out there that takes a person view where you're a we person <laughs> and could be associated with multiple companies? Oh, with multiple companies. Oh, I just blew your mind. Well, no, we can do that, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, like, but like, like for example, with like upheld, like, our core customer is the person. It's not the yeah. company. And so, but then yeah, we meet people. That's how Serum's designed. Yeah. Okay. And so can you have a person who's like an employee with multiple companies? The multiple companies thing requires a small workaround, but the the, the contact is the, well, you can do it either way, but the default use is, uh, there's no term called account like Salesforce has. <laughs> you have and, companies. Um, we have companies, but mm-hmm. by default, like everything is a contact. And then like, oh, this contact works at a company, but the company record is generally not there, not very important. So one one thing that would be interesting if I were going to start a CRM is mm-hmm. there are companies out there who target consumers that work at and are, or are associated with multiple organizations. Being able to easily associate contacts with multiple organizations could be a, a unique spin on CRM. I I'm not saying... Per- I think this is a perfect example, yeah. though, of like, that wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> because, and, and I think this is kind of what... I feel weird talking about reform. I don't even know Peter, but like, I feel like we have a weird parasocial relationship because I listen to his podcast. Um, Like you can solve one problem better than any other CRM. The other 150 problems you're going to get wiped out on. That's, that's just not important. The bar is extremely high uh, for the product for me to get anyone to actually just use the CRM for the, in the first place. Yeah. Like when less annoying CRM started, every other CRM sucked. And so we could do one thing better and everything else a little worse, but it was okay. But that doesn't work anymore, I don't think. And I wonder if this is applicable with Reform, but like integrations seem to be something that's pretty like in common here. Like, you know, Savvy Cal to be effective requires lots of integrations. Um, a CRM now requires to be like basic functionality requires lots of integrations. Like trying to displace Pipedrive, part of the reason we use Pipedrive is because we can plug it into everything else we're using without yeah. even thinking about it. Are you just uh, doing that through Zapier or like they have native they integrations? Have native native integrations. Um, and then, you know, then you add in, and I'm sure I'm assuming reforms the same way, like type, uh, type forms, like the power in type form isn't in the editing. It's in the ability to string together automations, um, which requires integrations. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if like, 
anyway, there's a, that, that's just one layer of complexity is the ability. An app needs to be able to talk to other apps. Yeah. Um, which, you know, from a MVP standpoint, I'm assuming, I, I don't know much about how hard it is to build integrations, but I'm assuming that's like a pretty substantial investment from a product development standpoint. It's certainly the hardest thing we ever do, which is why we're trying to get other people to integrate <laughs> exactly. with us. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, I think I agree with you uh, in, in a nutshell. But I would, I, I, I guess, um, it, it seems like there's probably, I, I agree that there's probably like these edge cases around the core apps that are going to be constantly without, like kind of problems without good solutions. And those are the ones that you could probably get away with a ship fast and early yeah. mentality. And yeah, the bar just, could be low. I think we're in a new wave. Like it's always been the case that we couldn't start a pharmaceutical company bootstrapping. Like mm-hmm. it costs too much to take a drug to market. Um, but it used to be the case that you could start a big central system of record software as a SaaS bootstrapped. I think those days are gone. I, not to say it will never happen again, but it's it's going to be exceedingly rare. It's going to be harder and harder because the bar has been raised. Yeah. So there's then, then you know, that the borders expand and there's still probably plenty of ideas, but it's not what they used to be. So that's one takeaway ahead from all this. One is um, maybe like... I think tech is more zero sum than it used to be. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, it used to be, oh, don't worry about your competition. Don't worry about uh, anything. Like there's so much that hasn't been done yet that just go do it and you don't have to care. There's enough for oxygen for everybody in the room. And I think that like innovation in terms of the platforms and the distribution methods has really stalled over the last five years. And all the oxygen is starting to get taken up. And especially mm-hmm. by the big tech companies, like, you know, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, those companies keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are fewer and fewer like, like, you know what Stripe is right now? Like, like the really, really giant soon to be public company. There used to be a ton of those and there are not anymore. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. This affects me. This this re- relates to me rather. We're going through this marketing push right now, and this is the the harsh reality I keep running into, is like there are only ten spots on the front page of a Google search. It's it, you can't just say go write blog posts because like Facebook, PipeDrive, Zoho, Salesforce or not Facebook, Salesforce, they've all written the blog posts, and it's not enough to just do something valuable. It has to beat out one of these other ones. It has to take one of them off the front page of that Google search, and that's really fucking hard to do. Yeah, and it's really the top three. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's like so. But yeah, that's a good point. The, it's it's kind of like um, the the analogy that comes to mind is at some point there will there will be no more waterfront property. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> right. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, every, then every, everyone doesn't get waterfront property. <laughs> I mean, we're already there, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> um, um. So I. Yeah, I've been a little, I'm very excited about Lesson Learning Serum in general. You can probably tell my mood's high, but like marketing specifically, a part of me is just like, I don't, I, a part of me wants to just come to terms with like some of this shit's not going to work, you know? But what I'm trying to decide is, are we on the good side of that or the bad side? If you're just getting started and you're trying to start a CRM company, it's like, good luck, you know? We're like really small compared to Salesforce, but we also have millions of dollars in revenue and have been around for 13 years. And I can't decide if we're at an advantage or a disadvantage in this new world. 
Well, and then the other thing I'm going to is like, maybe what's the new SaaS? Like, is it some other type of company um, that isn't software as a service, but some other industry that, you know, you should be indie hacking in? Um, I don't think it's a given that there is a new SaaS though. Like we've, we've grown up for the past 30 years, there's always been a new frontier of tech. And I just, I'm not saying there never will be another, but I don't think there is currently, that's why everyone's doing this dumb web three bullshit. We talked about this a couple months ago. <laughs> everyone's getting into web three because there has to be a new frontier, but like, what if there's not? I was kind of thinking of like DTC as being kind of interesting, like direct to consumer, um, e-commerce, uh, I feel like that's something we don't, you and I potentially, maybe you do, I don't know a lot about, but it seems like kind of the next wave of entrepreneurs are are doing well there with mm -hmm. little to no investment. Um, but like, you know, kind of like adjacent uh, software enabled services that, yeah, you know, uh, kind of bringing uh, the concept, the, the learnings from SaaS to a, to a new, a new space, like. I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I was, what I was thinking about. That's fair. Yeah. There's probably less competitive spaces. I don't know if there's anything that's going to lead to like a gold rush, like we had in SAS over the last 10 mm, years, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that was okay. interesting. I've got more if, if you don't mind Keep going. <laughs> uh, one thing this has me thinking about is I'm, I'm waffling between whether you need a, I, I keep going back and forth between less knowing CRM wants to improve growth. We need a step change. Like we need a big change. There's the saying, what got you there, what got you here won't get you there. Um, and now I think I'm mixing both of the podcasts I've referenced so far have talked about this in the last episode. So um, what got you here won't get you there, which leads me to think like I need to like my marketing, I need to find a new channel or whatever, or do something big or like go freemium or something big. And I'm waffling between that versus no, actually iterative change, iterative change might be fine. This idea that the product competition actually matters and it's not just build some shitty MVP and market the hell out of it almost gives me a little more permission to be like, yeah, let's just keep making the product better and better and better. Now, maybe I'm lying to myself there. Or again, I'm waffling. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know which one is true, and you don't either. But so, are, is this you waffling, or is this like, is this a conversation? Is the waffling conversation what people are talking about, or is um, it? No, this is me waffling. When okay. I listen to podcasts, I like pause it every thirty seconds and then talk for five minutes to myself. <laughs> so, like, I'm like in the conversation and debating people. Yeah, yeah. This is this is my addition to it. Okay, so you're listening to these people and saying, okay, it's much harder to start a new product. Maybe I shouldn't try to start a new product at Less Annoying CRM. I should be just trying to make our existing product better. Not just start a new product, but like, do I need some radical new market? Sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but let me give you a little uh, math. Okay. There is a difference between a plateaued company at $0 MRR and a plateaued company at a million dollars MRR. At $0, plateaued means you're adding no new customers and you're losing no customers, meaning you have zero traction, period. And in order to grow from there, you have to you have to go from zero to one. You have to do something significant. If you're plateaued at a million dollars ARR, what that means is you're losing, I don't know, let's call it uh, $200,000 in ARR or whatever. No, that's too much. Uh, you're losing $50,000 ARR a month and you're adding 50,000 ARR a month. Um, 
What that means is if you could increase if you could keep churn the same and increase your growth rate by 10%, now you've got your now you're growing decently. An iterative, very small percentage change works for the second company, but not for the first. So I'm tying this back to the marketing stuff that I've been struggling with, where I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't think we're going to get SEO like really working, like 10x better than it was. I don't think we're going to get content marketing really working. But then I'm like, well, maybe we just need to get it a, like something's working already. We're growing. We're not even plateaued. We're growing. Maybe I should be less focused on trying to hit a home run here and just slightly tweaking and improving everything we're doing already. It's so funny that you're waffling on this. I had a conversation with JD this morning, who's my partner at Leg Up Health, and we we are constantly waffling between like continuing to do its working and then trying new things, you mm-hmm. know. And it's, um, yeah, it, it does feel well. If it, it, it seems like this is a conversation that should happen within each channel, not like across channels. So I don't know, it, like each channel is either, uh, you know an unknown that you're trying to like go from zero to one on, or it's something that's working and you're incrementally improving, improving. Is there a situation where you're in a channel and you're at one, but you're trying to go to two on like, it seems. It's- mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's cause like we kind of have SEO working. We just don't know how it's just gradually over the years it's gotten better. And I guess I've been telling myself, we can't just go through and tweak some H1 tags and you know do that type of thing. We need something bigger than that. But maybe Why? that's not true. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. Right? So I, I think that's where I'm going. Like that channel to me feels like it's an incremental improvement slash maintenance channel. Um, so I guess the question is: Let's say we never find another, not like literally never ever, but like let's say incremental channels are the only things we can get working. Should I just like accept that and be like, okay, we'll just keep hacking away at the same shit we've been it, it, doing. With 80 or 90%, but like you should, I feel like you should always be innovating. I mean, my bias is towards like adding new product, like uh, figuring out, trying to figure out a new channel, product-led growth channel. Um, so yeah, product-led so I, growth is the thing that I would be, if I were to do this, I'd be saying, let's put our bet on product-led growth and stop betting so much on traditional marketing type growth. Are you betting on traditional marketing type growth right now, or are you just yeah, managing yeah. it? No, we're bet. We we hired Demand Maven. We're we're spending okay. probably a hundred thousand more this year than we would normally. Oh, okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. I would say, uh, but 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 is that really like betting on it, or is that just like better managing it because you weren't really doing anything with it before? No, it's betting on. Like we've been we've been doing a lot of stuff where it's like it's with the assumption that we have to figure out something. It's got to get. This is yeah okay um, um yeah that might be an unrealistic expectation yeah which is a bu- man I would hate to be starting a new I mean again like we said if you start a new company right now you just have to find one of those spaces that's less competitive but like I'm having a hard time here and we've got so many advantages compared to a new company it's tough out there have you tried like doing outbound like sales yeah uh no but like th- there's no way the math could work. If I mean, hired, I don't know, like if you knew what there, there are 7 million small businesses out there. What is it? Something like that. Uh, yeah, I think and, there's 20 million that have fewer than 20 employees, something like that. Yeah. So like it would be nice to know like which one of those, if you could know like 
of the people who sign up, how many came from a spreadsheet versus some company? Like going after com- com- other companies more aggressively. I don't know. I'm going into new channels though. So, yeah. so Jason I, it, Lemkin would say that wouldn't work. Yeah. Based on your ACV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's true on a sales basis, but if you're taking more of a demand gen approach, um, so like, uh, more like more systems based approach, I, I think mm-hmm. it could, but, um, but, but that's a new channel. That's not yeah. taking what's working now and managing and, and incrementally improving it. So yeah, that we're doing that. I, I realize now we are doing that with software advice, which yeah, there you go. About. Yeah. Um, okay. Final thing here. I've said this, but I want to go back to it. The idea, like, I feel like I have more permission to take the approach I want to with the product. And what I mean by that is, again, indie, if you just follow indie hackers too much, you will get this, the sense that you have to be focused on marketing and like the, the quality of the product barely matters. Um, and, and like I said earlier, there are a lot of success stories of someone building something very quickly and marketing it and getting a lot of money. None of those things, I can't name a single one of them. And this is an interesting dynamic. There are a million success stories on Hacker News or on Indie Hackers that I've seen of this model, and not a single one has been lasting enough that I could name it right now. And I can name a lot of companies that are either bigger than us or on, a, on track to be bigger than us where they don't take that approach and they they do hard technical product stuff. They put a lot of care and love into the product and it seems to be working. I mentioned SavvyCal, Tuple's another, ConvertKit's another. The companies that actually last and make it are ones that don't take the approach to product that the indie hackers crowd would have you believe is the right approach. So that's one of my takeaways here that I feel good about because like that's yeah, what you- got me here. But I keep doubting myself because like the internet says that's not what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. So I agree. Like <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, a, I, it's so much easier to run a business when the product is remarkable and people talk about it and say good things and tell other people about it than compare and stay with you for a long time versus a product people buy and then churn or, and don't talk about. Yeah. So I'll just close with this. I'm feeling somewhat hopeless with marketing and incredibly hopeful with like the our ability to differentiate ourselves with the product. And so like net, my like I'm feeling more invigorated and more optimistic from all of this, but like it's a lot of good and a lot of bad mixed in there. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like I was I mean it, it's amazing how an entrepreneurship it's just constantly like highs to lows to highs to lows. Mm-hmm. And just, this conversation is one of those, um, but it's constant. And what I was, what I was trying to, what I was level my setting with JD, we're having kind of like a couple of weeks of that at leg up health and where it's kind of lows back into highs. And um, it's just part of it. And it doesn't get any better at once you hit a million, it doesn't get any better when you get to 10 million. It's just, this is just the state that you have to be comfortable with. Yep. Yep. Ah. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's a good stopping point for us then, unless yeah. you got anything else. No, that's good. Um, if you would like to review past topics and show notes, visit starttolast.com. Tyler, I will see you next week. No, I will not. I will see you in two weeks. See you then. Bye. All right. Bye.